Hi, and welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cardamus, and we're here to give you the ideas and inspiration you need to overcome your teaching challenges and make a lasting difference in your students' hearts and lives. Today, we're going to talk about a question that comes up quite a lot and that I'm willing to guess all of us have struggled with to some extent, and that is how to keep the noise level down during times when students are working either independently or supposed to be working quietly on group work. Now, it depends. Sometimes we may want them to be actually working silently and focused. Other times, maybe our goal is simply to keep the noise level down, uh, where they maybe are allowed to talk quietly or whisper. But in either case, I think that these strategies will hopefully be helpful for you. They are not quick fix cure-alls that will solve all your problems in two seconds, but they'll definitely um, help rein in the out-of-control talking and try to make it a more conducive learning environment uh, when it comes time for independent work. So the first step in keeping an appropriate noise level in independent work is to make your expectations super clear. So here's what sometimes happens. Sometimes we say, all right, please work quietly. And that's all we say. (laughs) That's all the instructions that we give to them. And that's just not enough. We have to be really clear on exactly what we expect. We need to let them know, are we expecting absolute silence or are whispers okay? What should a student do if he or she has a question? Uh, should they raise their hand? Should they ask the person next to them? How are we? How do we want them to handle that? What does a quiet voice sound like? Depending on the age of your students, even sometimes in the upper grades, we need to give them an example of what a quiet voice actually sounds like and doesn't sound like, right? So one of the big keys is to invest time. If it's at the beginning of the year, this is the perfect time to invest time in modeling, discussing, and practicing exactly what independent work time should look like. And I do recommend being more structured at the beginning of the year with independent work time. And as students are used to the structure, when I say more structured, I mean a little bit more strict, allowing a little, I would err on the side of allowing less talking than more at the beginning of the year. Uh, maybe you even want to start out silent unless you, unless there's an academic reason you want them talking to each other. And if you start out a little bit more structured, and more like I use the word structured. It's not the point isn't to be strict, but the point is to be really structured and to really um, make it that students get that this is time to work. And then if you start out that way and they get it, chances are you can add a little more freedom as the year goes on. So I'd, ca- I'd, I'd recommend if it's the beginning of the year to err more on the side of um, of being more structured. And like I said, you can add the freedom in later. Um, at, if you're happening to listen, to, we're recording this podcast in September, but if you're listening to this later on and you're like, it's the middle of the year, then it might be time to um, just stop and teach it now, okay? I, obviously, this isn't the time when you're as much used to teaching routines and procedures, but any time that your current routine and procedure is not working, 
Um, it's worth it in many cases to stop and teach it as if it were the beginning of the school year. And so if you if you haven't ever done this, or if maybe you did in the beginning of the year and your students have just completely dropped the ball, um, then definitely recommend taking some time, talking about it, modeling it, and really setting your expectations for what it should look like. Now, in particular, you might want to consider using a voice level chart, and I can't show it to you because we're on a podcast, but I will link to it at teachfortheheart.com slash noise, <laughs> uh, teachfortheheart.com slash noise, and that's where all the notes for this episode will be. And in that, I link to a picture, it's actually from Maneuvering the, mil- the Middle that she shared on Instagram, and um, it is shows four different voice levels. I'm just going to tell you what her voice levels are. You You don't need to use these, but you could if you want, or you can adapt it to what makes sense. So she says she has noise level zero, means you're totally silent, no sounds, no voices, and this is for uh, testing. Um, Noise level one means you can whisper, but you talk only when you're stuck, and this is for independent practice. Noise level two or voice level two, you can whisper to collaborate or to explain, and this is for group practice. And then Voice level three is when you need to speak loudly to share your thinking with the class. And this is when presenting or answering a question out loud. And I think something like that, especially if you um, are doing, if you use independent work a lot, or if you use it in different ways, sometimes it's independent, sometimes it's group, it might be wise to have that type of chart and to teach your students these different voice levels. And that can work across the spectrum, um, all the way up through high school and middle school and high school. Um, You can teach voice levels, and then you can say, all right, we're at a level one right now. That's what I expect for this activity. So number one, make your expectations super clear. Number two, Circulate the room and use proximity during independent or group work times. So especially when you're first teaching and practicing independent work, you can't just sit down at your desk, head down grading papers. Now I know it's like you want to get something done and you can still get something done during this time, but it, you need to take it with you and need to walk around the room. So that's so important. If you're sitting at your desk and the student's even if you are watching, they get the impression that you're not. And you're more likely, there's more likely to be more problems, more talking, more the, the buzz is going to grow more quickly than if you're walking around the room. So just even if you have a stack of papers in your hands to grade and you're just walking around the room, you know, you stop in the back, grade a few, walk to the side, grade a few, you know, plant yourself in the middle, grade a few. Just that proximity itself is helpful, but you're also being strategic. You're walking, you know, you're walking. Um, if you hear some talking over in the corner, you're walking that direction. You may be whispering a gentle correction or a reminder as needed um, and just using your proximity to help there. And then, of course, depending on the point of the activity, you're also answering students' questions if if you want to. If you're wanting them to work independently, uh, you don't have to. You can still, once again, just be using your proximity to help keep students um, just for them to to realize that you're there and to make it easy for you to uh, correct um, without interrupting the rest of the class. One other thought here about um, circulating the room is, let's say that it's an independent work time, but you need to work with a small group. You've got a reading group or a center or whatever it is, you're needing to work with a small group or an individual student. 
In that case, you have to realize that your focus must be split. In other words, you can't even, let's say you're doing um, a reading group. You cannot focus solely on that reading group and ignore the rest of your class. It's going to be a disaster, especially in the beginning when you're teaching this. So first of all, you need to situate yourself in a place where you can see both your small group and the rest of the class, all right? Um, so just make it the chair, arrange the small group in such a way where you can see the whole class. The whole class is in your line of sight as much as possible. And then if issues do start arising in the main group, depending on how you're dealing with your small group, um, you know, if the kids are just reading, maybe you can just quietly get up and go address the issue and come back and the kids keep reading. Uh, if you ha- But if, if you have to stop the small group to deal with a problem in the larger group, you need to do that, especially at the beginning. You're going to feel like you're sacrificing your small group time and you are but it's an investment into um, the rest of the year because if you can get to the point where you teach the whole class how to work quietly when you're working with a a smaller group or a reading group then the rest of the year will go so much more smoothly and you'll be able to get so much more done in your in your group work Um, but if you ignore it let it go it's just going to get worse and it's going to be chaotic for the entire year so it's worth it to um, stop the stop the group and invest and um, you know deal with problems as you need to and like I said sometimes you don't even have to stop the group you can often have them keep working while you go deal with an issue So number one, make your expectations super clear. Number two, circulate the room and use proximity. Uh, Number three, correct and reinforce a lot at the beginning. We talk a lot on Teach for the Heart about not letting the little things go when you're teaching a new procedure or a new routine or it's the start of school. And this definitely applies here. So when you're first teaching how to work in independent work um, or group practice, you've got to insist on your expectations. Because if you don't, if you say, you know, this is what I expect, and then students are getting louder and louder and you don't do anything about it, it, the situation is going to digress into chaos. And students will basically learn to assume that you don't really mean what you say when it comes to being quiet during independent work times. And even though you say there needs to be only whispers, uh, we don't really have to whisper because she doesn't really mean that. So until the class is used to working quietly, uh, we have to be extra diligent and extra vigilant, and we can't let the minor infractions go. Now, once again, um, I've talked about this before, this doesn't mean you have to punish every student whose voice you can hear, um, but you can use a combination of proximity, like we talked about before, gentle reminders, praise, reteaching, practicing, and yeah, maybe consequences if necessary to show your students what is expected and help turn those right behaviors into habits. And once again, you may feel like you're wasting time and energy constantly stopping to correct, practice, reinforce, especially if you're trying to work with a small group. But once again, what you're really doing is investing into the learning environment of your classroom. It'll take a lot of effort to create a conducing a conducive environment for independent work, but that investment will pay huge dividends the rest of the year as your students learn to work quietly and with focus. Um, just one other thought here before we move on to the next one. As you're correcting and reinforcing, one of the questions that comes up is, When do I give consequences and when do I reteach the procedure to the whole class? Like, how do I know? And Michael Linson of Smart Classroom Management gives really wise advice. I linked to the article, once again, at teachfortheheart.com slash noise. Um, But what he recommends is that if only a few students are causing the problem, um, then 
you give a consequence. Now, this doesn't have to be every time. Uh, I mean, you can you can try using proximity and gentle corrections and all those other things first. But he, meaning, if it's like these few, you know, these few students are consistently causing a problem, uh, that's the time you don't need to reteach the entire class the procedure. Most of the class got it. It's these couple kids that are causing a problem. So deal with them individually. Use consequences if necessary. But if the majority of the class is being loud or rowdy or not following the correct procedure, um, then it does, it's not really the wise time to issue punishments to the whole class. That's a time to stop, reteach the procedure to the whole class, and practice it together. So I thought that was helpful. All right, number four. This one, the rest, so those three are pretty much across the board. You definitely need to do those. The rest of these are more suggestions, but I think there's some great suggestions here. So suggestion number four is play instrument instrumental music or use a voice level app during independent or group work time. So some teachers play instrumental music quietly during independent work time. So not only does this provide a nice backdrop that um, if you're doing classical or something like that, it can also stimulate creativity. But it can also become its own noise level monitor. You can teach students that in times when they are allowed to whisper, they need to monitor their voice level by making sure they can always hear the music. So if they're talking too loudly to hear the music, they're too loud. Uh, another idea a lot of teachers use is to use voice level apps. A few I ran across that looked good were bouncy balls, too noisy, or class crafts volume meter, which I linked to all these at teachfortheheart.com slash noise. And these can help students see and monitor their own voice level uh, during times when whispering or quiet talking is allowed. Another idea, number five, is to consider playing the quiet game, or I had another teacher call it, she calls it kings and queens of silence. And depending on the age of your students, this is probably better for younger students, but it can be quite effective. So the rules are super simple. If you're talking, you're out. (laughs) The winner gets some type of prize or status for the day. So for example, it could be really fun to have some type of traveling trophy. I don't mean a real trophy. It could be a stuffed animal or just some kind of prize or a crown um, that the winner gets to keep for the day or until the next contest, in which case they have to, the the crown travels to the next winner. Um, and to, here's, I think, a big key to this game. To make it more effective, um, allow students to get out to earn their way back into the game by being extra di- diligent and focused. And that's important because otherwise, as soon as you get out, you might as well talk, right? Um, but instead, give them an opportunity to earn their way back in. All right, suggestion number six. Sometimes if you're at a voice level where whispering or quiet talking is allowed, um, but it's getting too loud, you might consider resetting with five minutes of silence. So once again, if the quiet talking becomes too loud, maybe you've given a couple warnings to the class and it's still too loud or the voice level app is gone off a couple times, uh, then stop everyone and say, okay, we're going to work silently with absolutely no talking for the next five minutes. And this can help force a reset and once again reinforces the expectation that your students follow, uh, monitor their own voice level. And you can, you could have that for the rest of the activity or you can say after five minutes, okay, we're going to try again now. Finally, uh, number seven is you might want to consider a classroom shakeup. So once again, this episode is going live in September. So if you're just starting school, um, you don't need this. 
But um, if you're in the middle of the school year or you say, man, it's not the middle of the school year, but I'm two weeks in and this is already a disaster. So if you're not starting off, the the best way to teach anything, including uh, appropriate voice levels, is to start off with strong and clear expectations and consistently reinforce them at the start of the year. But like that's not always reality, right? That doesn't always happen. We only get one start of the year and sometimes, you know, things come up. Sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we weren't expecting a certain problem and we just weren't prepared. So if you find yourself three weeks into the school year, five months into the school year, and it's just not going well, you might want to try a shakeup. The goal of the shakeup is to force a mini reset. Um, so in other words, the beginning of the school year is a reset, right? It's, an, it's like a fresh start. You're trying to force a little bit of a fresh start, a reset, and show the students with actions as opposed to just words that things are going to be different from now on. I talk a whole lot more about classroom shakeups in one of the first episodes of this podcast, if you scroll all the way back, or I'll link to that episode and to the accompanying blog post, once again, at teachfortheheart.com slash noise. Um, But here's the basic concept. Uh, You change something in your room. You take something out of your room. You add something to your room. You, You change your routine without any explanation to the students, and your goal is to get them to notice that something's different and to wonder why and hopefully even ask you about it. And when they're curious enough, then you explain and practice the new procedure. So it just forces a little bit of a reset. And, you know, one example of what you could maybe do in this case, uh, one example off the top, I was trying to think of an idea. And one idea I came up with was if you've never used a voice monitor app before, you could just put it up there on the board and set it and see how it goes. And when it starts going off, uh, then, and your students start asking you about it, what's going on here, then you can stop, explain, we haven't, you know, I'm sorry, I haven't taught you this very well. We are going to do this differently from now on. It's just not working. And then start from the beginning, teach your procedure, follow up with consistent and clear expectations, reinforce them, and so on and so forth. If you'd like help creating a classroom shakeup or just in general helping your class be more controlled and effective and creating that conducive learning environment, we have a free classroom management mini course that I'll link to once again at teachfortheheart.com slash noise, or you can get it directly at teachfortheheart.com slash mini course. And it's completely free. It will help you regain control of your classroom. And we go into more detail about exactly how to use a classroom shakeup to do that. I hope you guys found these ideas helpful, um, and I wanted to let you know that uh, we're probably going to take a brief hiatus um, from the Teach for the Heart podcast for the next few weeks because I've just accepted a six-week long-term sub position uh, for the next, well, six to eight weeks. So I do not know. I'm planning on just taking a break for that entire time, but I'd love to get one episode or two episodes out there in the middle. So we will just have to see but if I don't see you um, for a while, I will definitely be back um, after that um, position ends and can't wait to share with you all the things I'm learning. I hope you will pray for me as I pray for you. I'm excited about this position, but I'm also pretty nervous because it's been a while um, since I've been actually in the classroom. Uh, So I will admit I am nervous, um, but I'm really excited about it as well. So thank you guys again so much. I look forward to speaking with you again before too long. In the meantime, keep growing, keep striving. You really are making a difference.